It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I can't. It's a Sunday morning. My Stampeders absolutely played like junk yesterday. Season's pretty much over. Back to work tomorrow. Yeah, it's okay. Thank yeah. yourself. Doing pretty good. Uh, you know, my Lions are in a much better position uh, than your Stamps. They pretty much need to match the Bombers for the rest of the season and beat them in the third and final game of their three-game series. And if they do that, then they have a chance to get a buy into the Western final. So it's, uh, I save you. I just wore the hat today. I got a new hat, uh, during the week. I, I ordered two shirts and a hat off the lions, uh, merch shop. And, you know, because it's a CFL probably paid more than I had to, but, uh, I, I freshened up the gear and I almost forgot the game was Friday night. I thought it was Saturday. And I was like, we're sitting around watching Friday night Smackdown and, I'm like, do 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 check on the the Jays game, how they're doing. I'm like, oh, that game's on in 15 minutes. That's not tomorrow. So <laughs> I, I had to quickly change up the channel and, you know, make sure to actually catch the game. But, yeah, no, it, it's good. You know, yeah, things are going well. We're back-to-back weeks with a guest spot in between, doing all right. You know, we uh, mentioned it last week. We we're going to be on Johnny's Topes double-digit hockey talking our uh nhl preview and we did that make sure to go check that out on uh either john john's twitter handle or uh at vintage johnny 84 uh or double digit hockey and uh you can either listen or you can watch it you got multiple options on that one um we're not really going to talk hockey today we're going to save that for our next show where we'll really break down our thoughts on the flames and canucks and uh, what we think about that. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, a little, few things going on here in the week. That I think, you know, we're going to jump into a little Jays talk today. I think it's going to start us off. And we're going to we're gonna continue that ride of talking a little WWE today, Trevor. I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I had an absolute blast last week, you know, talking WWE. Uh, if you want to go back in and listen, it was we kind of did our Mount Rushmore uh wwe superstars though it doesn't necessarily mean 
our favorites. It's just who we thought kind of was the king of the the mountain, top of the top of the heap in, in terms of you know what they brought to wrestling. This week it, we're gonna more just kind of shoot the shit about some of our favorite, some of the gimmicks, some of the the personalities, some of the potential of the matches. It's just a very, very open conversation and fun conversation, kind of reminiscing. And as Ken mentioned last week, he's a uh, avid watcher still of of WWE. I'm me, not so much, but I'm still, I still love it. I follow it. I just, I don't sit down every week and watch it for you know two, three hours. <laughs> five, but I, I'm five. Oh, you do both shows? Okay, well, good for you. But I'm very much looking forward to this. I've. You know, and talking about wrestling brings back some great memories of, you know, me and my dad sitting sitting when I was younger watching it. Or me and my siblings when we were real young, it used to be, you know, Saturday morning wrestling. And you'd see the, you know, the big guys wrestling no names on Saturday morning. And it just kind of brings back good memories. I always like talking about this. Um, but as you mentioned, we've got to do a little bit of Jay's talk today. Just a little bit. We're going to focus mostly on... Uh, some wrestling. I know it's the heat of a wild card chase, but it's the same team, same thing. So we'll, we'll touch on that. But Ken, why don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off here? All right, we're going to jump into Are You Kidding Me? Are You Kidding Me? is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use the code BELLYUP20 for 20% off all your grooming gear, now including the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. So Trevor, you and I, we're going to we were gonna do our are you kidding me's, but we both came to the to the table this morning with essentially the same one that came out of last night's game. And I know it pissed me off watching it and seeing it happen. I don't know if your reaction was as much as mine, but the the Jays went into are gonna with game two of the Tampa series. Um huge series because they need to win this to maintain their their, their spot in the wild card, card race, it is so tight. They can't lose these games. They're not going to catch Tampa. Like That's pretty much, they can't. But they got to create separation be, with the teams around them. They went in and did something that they rarely do in Tampa, which was win that's game rarely. one. And, and they did it handedly. It wasn't close. It, wasn't, it was a, a good Jays win. But here's the problem. They went in and played Blue Jays baseball in Tampa in game two and were down four nothing after one inning. They were down five nothing, I think, before they put a run on the board. And in the eighth inning, managed to come back, tie the game, and take a one run lead. Now, cue your closer, Jordan Romano. Now, he only magically has four blown saves this year last night included, but man, does he make every save opportunity a question mark? And it was so frustrating to see first batter after every pitch, he's looking at his finger, he's looking at his middle finger, he's looking at his middle finger, gives off a, gives up a lead off double tying run is in scoring position. And then I can't remember if he walked the next guy or no, it was a single. So now you got first and third, none out. And he's still looking at his finger. Out comes John Schneider and the trainer. And they talk to him and he says, nope, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. And they leave him in. 
Well, now the broadcast shows that during warmups in the bullpen, he was looking at his finger. And come after the game, when he's now blown the save and the Jays lose in the bottom of the ninth inning, they're all saying how they knew he had a cracked finger from the night before. Are you kidding me? Why are you leaving him in there? You have Jordan Hicks, who is also a closer. Why would you not have gone to him for three outs? I know they both pitched the night before, so that excuse goes out the window. I was extremely pissed off about this because this is playoff baseball. If the season was to end today, it's the Rays and Jays in Tampa. I just don't get it, Trevor. Yeah, Tim, you you mentioned Jordan Hicks. You had Tim Mesa. Tim Mesa was warmed in the bullpen, ready to go. Tim Mesa was not brought into this game after the tying run had scored and the winning runs on third base of two outs. Tim Mesa was not brought in to face low. I that's inexcusable to me. Clearly, your closer did not have it. What got me most about this is John Schneider's post-game remarks, and I'm going to more or less summarize it of, he's our closer, he's the guy that we trust. Okay, a vote of confidence, that's fine. But as you as you prefaced, Romano was off, and he was hurt. I'm sorry, my closer at 80% against a team, Tampa, that has your number, is that the Trump can't feel the house of horrors. For the Blue Jays, you are fighting for your playoff lives, and you have a chance to win the series against the Tampa Bay Rays at the most critical time of the season. And you're sticking with your closer, who's clearly only at 80-90% health. When you've got you've got one of the best bullpens in baseball, you got Tim Mesa and a, a sub two ERA warmed and ready to go in the bullpen. I I couldn't handle it. And then just the, the, the comment, I trust him. He's our guy. Sure. He can be your guy when he's at 100%. When he's clearly not at 100%, this is not the time to be wasting games. This is this was just so unacceptable and just disappointing. And here's, what's, here's another thing, another angle I want to take it. What if this... What if allowing Romano to throw what 20-ish pitches yesterday further aggravates his injury and he has to go on the 10 day DL and is unavailable for the playoffs? What happens if that like how can you justify it? If he ends up with any injury time, this looks even worse for John Schneider. Uh, I'm you, I'm not typically a, a blame the coaching staff kind of guy or that kind of stuff. John Schneider is over his head this year. And I can't believe I'm saying that about a, a manager who's close to 40 games over 500 in his managing career, you know, with this team through the course of, you know, probably 180-ish ball, close to 200 ball games now. He's coached the Jays maybe more. He's probably 40 games over 500. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It appears he's over his head. And this isn't the time for this. There, this isn't the time to be getting out managed, out coached. It's I'm 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 worried. I know the Jays are still in a playoff spot. They're a game and a half up on the Mariners. It's very high likely that they're still going to make it. They still have four games left against Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's the X factor to me. 
this team could easily go one and three, zero oh and four on those four games against Tampa Bay. That's why that win was so critical yesterday to close it down because you don't win a lot of games against Tampa Bay. You had a chance to go into Tampa Bay and win a series. You still do today, but you could have already won it and been looking at a sweep today. And, and Ken, we know how the game's going to go today. They're going to lose. Like, it's almost it's almost like a foregone conclusion. Yeah, we better hope Kikuchi got uh, 15 hours of sleep, not just 11, yeah. which is his problem last game. But... <laughs> But what also gets me is is who's running the asylum, Schneider or the players? Because I'm sorry, the guy like Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez said, "Well, the finger doesn't seem to be bothering him because he's not losing velocity and he's not, you know, all over the place." But sorry, if you have to look at your finger every pitch, it's bothering you. You are worried about sp- making that crack turn into a full gone, full blown split down his nail to me that's a problem you don't put him in to allow him to make it worse the jays have options that are just as good i you talk about you shouldn't say you know josh steiner is over his head being you know but was close to 40 games over 500 and is since taking over but here's the deal the jays are should not be a team that is fighting for a playoff spot. The Jays should be securing. So I've already secured a playoff spot. They're supposed to have been that that team that was that good that the playoffs were should have been almost a foregone conclusion. And yet we're still sitting here year after year after year questioning whether they're going to make it in. And if they are, are they going to win a damn game again? Because pretty much since they're they're they're, they're was it 2016 AL East performance? How many playoff games have they played and how many have they won? The zero, zero playoff games won. Right? Like, this is a team that has the talent to win. And I just, Gilmore Martinez isn't it. When Dante Bichette was around, the team hit a lot better. But he's not right now. And the, a lot of the guys aren't hitting. Matt Chapman's having a horrible contract season, right? Like he's trying to play for big dollars and he's just the tickers going down, not up on his value. Yeah. Right? He's replacement so, level at best right now. Like may, maybe the Jays could get him back cheap to, no, thank you. you know, <laughs> but, but the problem is who's replacing them. You got to go out and spend that money. Anyways, they don't have like their bench is nothing but, Buffalo Bisons and David Schneider, who came out hot. I think I saw his 0 for 30 in his last. Yeah, his 0 for his last 30. That's going to happen because guess what? You see them enough, even if it is over the last month of the season, the the mystery of the minor league call-up goes away, right? It's the Jays don't have a bench, which is something I've been screaming for I don't know how many years that they need to fix and they haven't. It's just frustrating to see them fumbling the ball so badly. It's like throwing two picks in the red zone when you're fighting for a playoff spot in the CFL. I, I just, I, you can't I, do that. 
Uh, why are we laughing that Jake Mayer and Mike Calgary Stan Peters? That's exactly what happened yesterday at the game. So, you know, Ken, go to hell. <laughs> okay, I don't want to be all doom and gloom on the Blue Jays. Because let's face it, they're in a playoff squad. They're most likely going to make the playoffs. So it's not all a train wreck. Here's some credit I will give. This team's resilient. After getting swept by the tie or the Tigers, yeah, that would have been bad. The Rangers, the Texas Rangers at home. Chance to absolutely cement a playoff position. You 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 put a poopy diaper out there. <laughs> Got to smoked in four games. They came back and swept the Red Sox. Took two or three from the Yankees. Took the opener against Tampa Bay. I'll give them credit. They they bounced back from that. They've been resilient. I will also give them credit in the two games in Tampa Bay. In game one that they did win six two. They had one hit after five innings and were trailing that game against Glasnow, and they managed to win that game. I'll give them credit for being resilient. They were down 5 nothing in yesterday's ball game. Came back to take the lead. You don't see that in Tampa Bay from Toronto Blue Jays. I will give them credit for the resiliency. Now it's too bad that that ended up being our big, are you kidding me for the week? Because they couldn't finish it off. And that if, if they missed the playoffs, that game yesterday will sting one of the most because yep. you took a almost certain L to an almost certain W and made it an L. And it's just like, ah, uh, it was like this whole microcosm of the entire J season, the ups and downs, the ups and flows of the season. It was down, up, down, significant up and significant down. It just that that's been the blue Jays, but it's not all doom and gloom. They no, seem but- to be scoring a little bit more runs. Kevin Biggio has come out of nowhere and is like leading the team in OPS over the last like two months that's awesome that's great he's actually played some really good defense which you and i have criticized him of getting thrown all over the diamond left right and center everywhere over the course of the last two weeks he's made you know two three like magnificent defensive plays at third and first kind of filling in it's not all doom and gloom the pitching has rebounded after that texas series it's it's throwing the ball well it's going to need to throw the ball while you still have four games against Tampa Bay, which scares the shit out of me. Like that team is already kryptonite and you'll play them four times. So then most likely get to play them again in the playoffs. Like I hate the Tampa Bay race. I hate you, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Well, if, they, if they can swing a double play, they might get out of the first inning today without uh, giving up a run, but it's first and second with one out bottom one. So the only question, again, not to continue the dog piling on, but 6-2 victory uh, in game one. Why did Hicks and Romano each pitch an inning? Why did you burn them in a four-run lead? Like, Well, because you, you scored two of the insurance runs in the top of the ninth. Romano had to get out of in the bottom of the eighth uh, a the tying runs on second and third with two outs like Romano that was a close game that you and I joked with you I was like insurance runs in Tampa Bay in the ninth inning like yeah am I am I is am I what did I say am I awake is this a dream <laughs> like you know that's why that was a close ball game and but it was nice to see those insurance runs in the in the top of the ninth that you know, that's why they they both pitch. Like you, you want to win that opener, and they yeah. pulled out all the stops. But okay, they pulled out all the stops in game one. Maybe they should have pulled out all the stops in game two. And when Romano clearly didn't have it, 
get him out of there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they, they brought Garcia in for the bottom of the eighth. He did the job, which meant you still had, like, why wasn't Hicks and Romano warming up? And then when Romano went in, why wouldn't Mesa then, as he did, get up and warm up? Like, you should have had your three arms ready to go in case. Because Tampa can do, like, they pitched to low with a base open. And he hits this blooper down the left field line that barely stays fair. And the winning run walks in. So it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to see them just giving away wins at this point in the season when it's so crucial to get as many. Especially especially against a team that we're high likelihood we're going to play. You could have sent a message to Tampa Bay by winning yesterday's ball game and, and, and saying, yeah, I can come in and win a three-game series in your building, and we're going to do it again in the in the wild card round. You could have sent that message by taking yesterday's game that, yep, you do have to watch out for us. Tampa Bay isn't scared of the Toronto Blue Jays, and you know that. But had yeah. you won that game yesterday, you could have put a little bit of seed of doubt. And I'm in no means of saying the Toronto Blue Jays are scared of Tampa Bay. It's just they that, that team has their number. And there's it, something about them. There's just something about them in that, that building, especially they just, they, they can't get it done. And it was a, it was an opportunity yesterday to get it done and show them right before the playoffs that yes, this is not going to be easy for you. Well, who knows? Maybe fortunes will change once Tampa builds their new stadium and uh, the Jays can own that one, but We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully, I can't wait for Trop to be demolished. Yeah, the Jays never have to play there again. <laughs> no, yeah, it'll it'll. Well, and it's just an eyesore as well. So, I've but, been there. It is a dump. Like I've watched a game there. Yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our. Are you kidding me? Slash little Jays in flight uh, for this episode. Let us know what you think. Yeah, again, are, are we being too hypercritical of the Jays, or is our tired of the same old, same old come playoff time a little warranted with the Blue Jays? Because we've been fans for a long time and tired of seeing the same thing year in year out. A perennial playoff contender turn into a pretender at the wrong time. So, what? Talking about the TROP, we're going to have a great transition here, Trevor, because Wrestle, uh, not WrestleMania, Royal Rumble this year is actually at the TROP. It, uh, it's going to be, if I remember correctly, yeah, the, it's going to be at the Tropicana Field. The WWE yep. is heading down to Tampa for Royal Rumble, which is one of, the, one of my favorite to watch just because the whole who's coming out next, who's going to win, big implications for WrestleMania, who's going to go face the champ. Um, we're back to having a choice of who you're going to face. Now that uh, Seth Rollins has got the uh, heavyweight championship on Raw, Roman Reigns has the uh, undisputed Universal Championship on SmackDown. Royal Rumble is one of those shows gimmicks that is just kind of fun to watch. So we're going to jump into our WWE talk. I know Trevor, you know, you said you keep up with it. I do watch the five hours of. Uh, <laughs> SmackDown and Raw each week. It, it's, I, I just like it's great entertainment. It's a good way to unwind on a Monday, you know, beginning of the week. And you're like, uh, it's a good way to just 
relax for three hours and chill. And then Friday at the end of the week, it's a good way to go into the weekend. But, you know, I, before we get into anything, because we're going to talk about characters and, and wrestlers, who we like, and maybe gimmicks that we didn't like for wrestlers and things like that, shows, storylines. You got to give the writers a ton of credit, though. And it's not one or two people. It's I think there's several writers for the WWE, but they have to write five hours, five hours of live television every week. That's not a 30 minute, 60 minute episodic television show that you can write four months ago, go film it, throw it in the can, go air it when it comes on. No, this is week by week. You have to write five hours of television and hope to hell that your big stars don't get hurt and you have to change things up, which happened on Friday night. Um, John Cena's and AJ Styles were getting into it with Sola Sokoa and, and Jimmy Uso from the Bloodline. And the Bloodline beat up AJ Styles, put him in an ambulance, sent him on his way. And then it was John Cena with this going to have this mystery partner for Fastlane um, in just under two weeks. And his mystery partner couldn't come out because of the rumor is it was supposed to be L.A. Knight who tested positive for COVID when he showed up to the arena and had to go home. So they had to change things up on the fly. Uh, so that's those are the things that happen. Like, you know, by no means when we say we don't like something or we but there's I, there's no way I could come up with five hours of television, Trevor, for to to entertain the people. But over the years, over the decades that WWE has done it and uh, they do a hell of a job with a lot of it. I got to give them credit on that. We're going to talk about some of our favorite wrestlers, some of our favorite gimmicks. Um, Trevor, your thoughts? Okay, well, I'm going to kick it off with, I think the guys that should get the most kudos, and that's more or less the family that started it all. And I'm going to kick it off right away with just the McMahon family. That's some of my favorites in WWE. Obviously, Vince McMahon from the broadcast booth to the ultimate heel, the biggest villain ever, Vince McMahon deserves all the credit in the world for everything wrestling. He revolutionized the industry. He made it what it is today. So Vince McMahon, kudos to you. Yeah, you've got a little off your rocker recently. That's fine. That's fine. I'll give you a little, cut you a little break. And let's focus more on what you've done in the past. His characters that he ever portrayed in the ring on on screen were awesome. For you know a seventy year old man coming out absolutely ripped with like python like arms, he he also looked the part. Yeah, well, there was definitely probably some juice going on there. He <laughs> looked the part of the wrestler as well. So Vince McMahon, awesome. Shane McMahon, Shane O'Mac, loved that guy. Again, the big heel, but that guy, you could tell what he would do anything for his dad and his company. And whether that's jumping off the top of a steel cage or taking multiple chair shots to the head. His wrestling ability wasn't great, but that didn't deter him. His character was awesome. Stephanie McMahon, the, the large chested. <laughs> I would get it. She also kind of looked the part with Triple H, but it was almost like she was daddy's spoiled, rotten little girl. And, and 
you know, she had the assets to kind of amplify that, that persona of the spoiled, rotten little girl getting into, you know, battles and arguments. And, you know, Stephanie McMahon, I always enjoyed her on screen. It was, there's just something about her, but probably the, like the least heralded of them all, but kind of the one that almost brought it, like the sanity back to the group was Linda McMahon. She yeah. wasn't on screen often, but you, she was the matriarch of the family. And she almost, whenever she was on screen, because it's like she had to. And she had to bring like a sense of normalcy back. And I, I wish they could have done a few more storylines with her involved. No, it's, it's possible that she didn't want to. And it was like, I'm only going to come out what I really, really need to. But just in general, I have to give the props to the McMahon family. They started it all, they grew it all, and they brought the talent in, they paid the talent, they trained the talent, they wrote stories, storylines, they kind of did everything, but they also, the personas in the ring of all the different family members, Stephanie, Shane, and Vince especially, always, always enjoyed the... Uh, the, the McMahon family and the entrance, the entrance music, like, you know, Vince McMahon, it, it just, no chance in hell. Like, you knew he was the boss, and I just felt like his entrance music was just so fitting for, for what his, his persona was. And Shane O'Max, Money, Money, Money was just, love it. <laughs> I, I don't know. Ken, I don't know your feelings on the McMahon family. I know lots of people don't like them. I personally do. Yeah, I think, like, you got to go back, not just Vincent Kennedy McMahon, but his father, Vincent J. McMahon, who exactly, is, yeah. is the originator. He was the one who started it all. And Vince has played a lot of roles over the course of his time as head of WWE, which is really up in the air, whether that is the case now with the merger, when TKO, the new amalgamated company with Endeavor, and WWE that runs it all. I think Vince is still high up on the board, but he doesn't have full control, which is probably a good thing now. Um, I do follow a lot of wrestling on X slash Twitter. Um, and, and as a viewer, I don't necessarily see when they make the last minute changes or things like that on television. Um, some things don't make sense or whatever, but I don't, but they talk a lot about his backstage involvement and where it's supposed to be one, two, three, four, five, and then it's five, one, seven, two, nine is how it actually gets done on the show. But I go back to Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, um, as commentator with Jim Ross or whoever else and in ring interviewer. All meanwhile, no one knows that it's Vince's show, that Vince owns the company. Um, you know, he didn't, there wasn't the need for that Vince character at the time. But I think once it got out, he played, I, I don't think there was ever a time that Vince was babyface. Vince was always a heel. And that there was, that's who Vince was. He always portrayed the heel. Even during the Undertaker-Vince uh, saga where Undertaker and his minions kidnapped Stephanie and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
he always played a role. Was Vince always over the top, kind of almost like a caricature of himself? Probably, absolutely. Um, when he comes to Shane, Shane was a guy that, you, you said it already, he wasn't the greatest wrestler, but damn, would he do anything and everything to get a pop, to wow the crowd, to give them what they wanted. From jumping across one corner to the other and, you know, delivering a two-footed kick into a, a steel trash can in someone's face or taking that, jumping off the top. Stephanie took so much abuse over the years from, from uh, everyone. But again, never really seemed out of place in the storyline. And I think that's the important part. When you look at the gimmicks and things like that, it has to make sense because you need to draw the crowd in, right? You can't just, and you can tell when they his poorly package someone and they throw them out there and you're like, what is this? Like, this is okay, whatever. I'm changing the channel till this is done. You didn't get that with the McMahon family. There was always something going on. You knew something big was potentially going on. The whole Triple H kidnapping Stephanie from her, you know, before her wedding and getting married in a Vegas drive through chapel, stuff like that. But they, uh, they've always served a purpose and they were always, they, their main concern was making sure that the WWE was successful. And that's, you know, you got to thank them for that. Ken, who's outside of the McMahon family? And again, I would have come up the rock stone cold we already talked about that last week ken outside of that who's who's at the top near the top of your list of just you know the the best wrestlers that you enjoyed the best gimmicks well i think for me and, and i'm gonna talk a little bit not too much sean michaels triple h those guys they just triple h came in as um Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the rich aristocrat. And that that character, I don't know many people really cared for him uh, as th that part of Triple H. Um, but when he became the game or, you know, Hunter and started to move away from that rich boy kind of character and, and started teaming with Michaels and the development, the – and building of dx that was huge like there almost really wasn't a time where triple h wasn't loved didn't matter like he had that heel persona even when he would you'd probably consider him and dx and michaels to be babyface because that's just how people saw them like they were the bad guys but they were the good guys everyone loved them the bad guys everyone loved to hate um you know like they just they brought something to every match that got everyone going and i there was never a time that i didn't enjoy watching a triple h match some of the best rivalries with some of the top top people um even in his role now as like kind of chief content operator or, um officer whatever you want to call it where he's essentially putting the shows together and guide in the direction he's doing a great job with it like I, it's hard to say that anything that triple h touches doesn't turn to gold so uh, i think he's done a, a great job with that um and sean michaels again same kind of thing 
several different variations of the character, but they all kind of fell within that. I'm a bad guy heel, but people still love me and, and always fun to watch. My brother even came out to his theme music at his wedding. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot yeah. you told me about that. Or you go real old school and it was Shawn Michaels and Marty Janetti. The rockers. <laughs> yeah. There's the rockers. Uh, yeah, I, I'll say I'll agree with you on, on the Triple H. Everything he touched turned to gold. He just is a businessman, part of the business. One of the few things I didn't like about Triple H was like the obsession with the sledgehammer. That just that was. Oh, and Triple H gets the sledgehammer from under the ring and bashes it into a guy's knee, and it's just like they got tired. So that's one of the few things I didn't like about the the let's call it the Triple H era. But I loved his the finisher, the the pedigree. Love that that move. You know, we talked about that last week a little bit about you know finishing moves and kind of the rocks was not quite up there in comparison to something like Triple H. You just knew once the the pedigree happened that the match was over, and so. Love it. Shawn Michaels is just an icon. I was never the biggest Shawn Michaels fan, even to this day, but I have a ton of respect for what he's done for the industry and how big of a superstar. I, I will always hold a grudge over the Montreal screw job with Bret Hart. And, you know, being a Calgary kid, I'm sorry, you know, F with Bret Hart. I'm sorry. And Shawn Michaels did, Vince McMahon did. So there will always be a bit of a, uh, not hatred, but disappointment because, you know, Bret Hart was one of the best. I talk, We talked about Bret Hart last week a little bit, so we're not going to talk about it too much unless you are at some point. Well, I just I just kind of want to jump on that. Like, a couple of things you said with Shawn Michaels. Like, first off, that heel turn with Marty Jannetty, like, that is the type of heel turn that they still do today. That, you know, tag partner, whatever, then the screw over that yeah. goes with it. Like, that was such a huge thing because – the, the Rockers were pretty big for their time because that was late 80s, right? Yeah. Going into the 90s. So they were big at the time. They I think they had won championships, but you could always I tell. I had Marty Gennetti action figure. I was, was on Team Gennetti, so I was so disappointed. <laughs> right? Well, that was like, that goes back to the barbershop, right? Like, yeah. the Barber Beefcakes little segment that they do interviews in that a lot of that stuff that started then they're still doing now. And it's based off of these guys, right? Like Brutus, the barber beefcakes, probably another name, but you talked about the Bret Hart situation with Shawn Michaels and, you know, and, and we've talked about the big man's. I was never a big Bret Hart fan. I, I don't, I just, I don't know. There was something about his character. I just, I didn't mind, but I also didn't really get behind Bret Michaels. Not Bret Michaels. That's we're talking poison now. Um, Bret Hart. <laughs> uh, don't go pouring any sugar out right now. Um, but with the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Montreal screw job, I, I I put that on Bret, to be honest. Right? Like, I don't know if you've watched the Vice um series, yeah. Dark Side of the Ring, Montreal Screw Job. It was known Bret was leaving. And Brett was not the first wrestler to ever go from WWE or F at the time to WCW. But he was one of the first champions who almost seemingly refused to drop the belt before leaving to completely end the storyline. 
Because if you have your champion leave Sunday night from the pay-per-view at was that was that SummerSlam or was it just uh, in your house in Montreal? I can't or remember. Something? Regardless of the pay-per-view it was, they used to be on Sunday nights. You couldn't have Bret Hart on Sunday night pay-per-view leave as the champion to go to Monday night Nitro. Yeah. And have the belt. Because what what are you doing when he leaves, right? So they couldn't get him to commit to dropping the belt. Um, again, based on the stories that everything is going. Um, so they do it in a really kind of, they did it in a way that people are still talking about it. Because how many years ago was that? Like, we're talking almost 30 ago. years now, right? We're still talking about the Montreal screw job. What does that do for Vince? Make some money. Still. Yeah. Right, it's then that's all it is about. So, it's it's tough. I get it. Like for the hardcore fans to see your 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 favorite Bret Hart get screwed over like that, but somewhere in the line, Bret screwed Bret. There's a very strong helping of truth in there. Yep. Yeah. I I'm gonna go back on kind of my next, and I'm gonna talk about a few wrestlers here. I'm gonna go a little older school, back to more my childhood kind of the late 80s, early 90s, for a few of the of my favorites from that era. And one of the gimmicks that I thought was the best. And I'll start with that one. Mr. Perfect. I loved that whole gimmick persona that, you know, this ridiculously good-looking guy, you know, chiseled and just a perfect athlete and everything. And I'll, I'll never forget the on the Saturday morning cartoon, or the Saturday morning show, the Saturday afternoon show, the... They always used to do these cutscene clips of him, you know, doing something ridiculous, like you know, walking from center court and throwing a basketball over his head backwards and it going in. And and I just thought that was so well done. And as a kid, you didn't know it was fake. You didn't know how like that none of those clips were real, but they did such a good job of just selling Mr. Perfect. Like, what a great persona. Uh Another persona that I really enjoyed, and, and you know, I talked last week about Andre the Giant kind of being the first like real heel that kicked it off. One of the best heels of that era, in my opinion, was the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And just that it didn't matter what, I can buy it. I can, I can make you change your mind for money. I just loved how they played that out. If you look back on it now, you're thinking the million dollar man, well, he was severely underpaid for some of these guys, but it was all about to him. It, it was, I almost feel like there's a little bit of the Ted DiBiase, Vince McMahon's later characters were almost built off Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, where I can do whatever I want because I'm rich. I just, I loved that, that whole persona, Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, dumping the snake on your opponent at the end of the game or the end of the match after you'd win. And it was just like, I hate snakes. So I would just cringe <laughs> every time I saw that. But I was just like, oh, I love it. I again had the uh, Jake the Snake Roberts action figure. Um, I'll never forget when, and I think it was Yokozuna, where they pretended that Yokozuna killed the snake in the bag by doing his his drop on, his splash on her. And I was just like, I was almost in tears. I was like, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts, one of my favorites. 
Ravishing Rick Rude. Like, what a character. The I'm sexier than everybody. I'm this, per uh, you know, almost almost a bigger version of Mr. Perfect, where it was like he was just even that more chiseled, that much more, like, good looking, let's say. He had the women following him. And, you know, later personas like Val Venus, and I would almost say <laughs> Val well, Venus. Not, not looks wise, but like kind of the whole idea of the women, the the Godfather. I think like they owe a lot of their what what they were able to do to a guy like Ravishing Rick Rude because he kind of started it. So, and, and one more I kind of want to talk about here, and I know there's yeah, you alluded to it on uh, sort of that show, uh, the the documentary series, um, the Dark anyways, Side of the Ring. Yeah, Dark Side of the Ring, it, the Ultimate Warrior. He, uh, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff that have come out about him recently. Um, rightfully so. Like, he definitely seemed like he was just an asshole. But as a kid, I will, I'll never forget when the Ultimate Warrior would just, the music would, you know, you'd hear the three clashes, and then the Ultimate Warrior would just sprint down, jump in the ring, grab the top rope, run. and it was just like, what kid didn't like the ultimate warrior, the makeup, the almost like stronger than, than man type persona. You know, a lot of negatives come out about him recently, but I'll admit as a kid, I love the ultimate warrior. Yeah. I think I want to go back to Ted DiBiase. I think like that's a guy, a million dollar man. As fans, I think we were robbed of what he really could become because he got relegated to being a manager because of injury. Like they pretty much said, if you take another shot in the head, chair, whatever, punch, kick, like you, you'll die. Like he was that. It got that bad with his his injuries that you really kind of lost out on him. But you know, going back again to as a kid, Randy Macho Man Savage, like him, Hogan, Elizabeth, that whole thing, that was great. And then you got him doing his Slim Jim commercials, like ooh, break into a Slim Jim, yeah. <laughs> it, it just macho man was that that bigger than life you know he always had the wiggly fingers going and the deep deep voice like he just he didn't seem real right like macho man was always one of the the guys you know growing up uh, that was you know kind of cool to watch I, I think there's some guys that don't get necessarily get the credit they deserve. I think sometimes when you look at some of the ones that came from ECW and things that they put in the work and there, there's a lot, a lot of them to, um, to, to name. And I think going back to McMahon, there was a time when it was a three horse race. It was WWE, WCW and ECW. Well, that three-horse race become a one-horse race when Vince just bought them all. I I will say that Vince holds grudges, and if you wronged him in, in no. some way, he he buried a lot of guys that probably didn't deserve burying in the merger. Now, a lot of guys I'm gonna say like there's a guy like Randy Orton is fun to watch because. Randy has done so many different things. He came in as the, uh, I think he's third generation superstar. His dad, I think his grandfather, um, Cowboy Bob Orton is his dad. 
um, has come in and he's evolved, but he's again, he's done it in different ways. He's been a baby face. He's been a heel. He's been a baby face heel at the same time. Um, we've talked a lot about kind of good uh, gimmicks and characters. One, I want to say Mick Foley is a three for one because you have my list. You got Mankind, you got Cactus Jack, you got Dude Love. I well four because he also just has Mick Foley. Out of those ones, the only one I really didn't care for was Dude Love. I thought that that was just too much of a change from everything else he did. And I couldn't get behind that whole hippie thing that he was doing. Um, but that's a great one, right? Like the Paul Heyman character is great because he like one, he's a genius behind with his writing behind the scenes Two, he's great on a mic. He gets you to hate him and whoever he is representing at the time. But there's just a lot of guys that are, are good. Like, you know, you talked about the Godfather. Well, which iteration are you like? There's the Godfather. There's Papa Shango. There's uh, he was something else as well. When it comes to wrestling, I think there was a time, and this is where as a fan, it's tough because you look at what they're doing and where it's tough to get where some guys got buried when they, the mergers and everything happened is because Vince and his team were so far above everyone else in WCW and maybe not like ECW was a little more smaller, but they just did everything so extreme. It didn't matter what kind of character building you did, but WCW tried to copy a lot of what WWE was doing and it just didn't work you did like i think some wwe did some dub things too like fake diesel fake razor ramon like razor ramon great character one just absolutely amazing um but they when they left they wanted to keep it going so kane who originally debuted as isaac yankum went from being isaac yankum to fake diesel to well where the hell did this guy go to coming back as kane the undertaker's brother you know it just there was a lot of stuff that i think sometimes didn't make sense and it was like that that one there was like ben saying saying okay you can leave but i still own your persona right that's why it was scott hall and kevin nash and wcw and the nwo um there's always the copycats and i think sometimes when they they don't know what to do with a wrestler they'll take a persona that work somewhat in the past and they'll give it to someone else. And occasionally there isn't that big of a time gap. Take a look at Al Snow. Al Snow went crazy and carried around a head, like a mannequin head. Oh, and... I've got that written down too. Yeah. <laughs> but... What does everybody want? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was great because it worked for Al Snow. But then when Al Snow was either done wrestling, left, whatever had gone on, Perry Saturn had come over from WCW. And when the Perry Saturn character from WCW wasn't really going over, they tried to do the exact same thing with him that they did with Al Snow, but with a mop. And and it was just really weird and didn't feel right. Um, 
yeah, it just it was it was off. I want to go back to Mick Foley, and, and you forgot the most important persona of Mick Foley and mankind, and that's Mr. Socko. How could <laughs> you not mention Mr. Socko? The Rock and Sock Connection. And then the Rock yeah. and Sock Connection. Like, talk about, and I've got it listed here as like one of the weirdest, weirdest, but greatest gimmicks I've ever seen is Mr. Socko. And I'm sorry, I feel bad for those wrestlers who, like, Mick Foley was carrying that around in his undershorts, <laughs> pulling it out and sticking it in your mouth. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, oh, it's, uh... and and it, I've got also carrying the head around hundred percent. That you know that was um, not appropriate, but it was still <laughs> you know for a, a young twenty year old in the heyday. It was uh, I loved Al Snow. It was hilarious, uh, and I kind of got again. We already talked a little bit. I kind of brought the, you know the whole Godfather Val Venus in there, where it was all about the. You know the the sex appeal of sexy women, but I I didn't like how they did it with the Godfather and the whole train like, like that is so inappropriate now. But it was still you know they it was the attitude you know the attitude era the they were pushing boundaries in that era and, and they did a good job of it. I want to uh, I want to go back just a little bit further again and kind of mention two older wrestlers that I. Actually, I'm going to mention three that I, I didn't talk about already. A big boss man. I loved that character. The, I'm the cop, but I'm going to beat the snot out of you. And they just, I found the WWE, WWF did a really good job of that character just in general. It was like this, yeah, meant to be a heel for sure. And it may have been playing on things that were over my head at the time on some of the, the, you know, problems in the world, but another one that I, I always appreciated the fact that they were willing to kind of go with what was happening in the world at the time. And I'm going to look at, you know, wrestlers like the Iron Sheik and Sergeants. You know, they, they created these USA versus the world type scenarios. There was a Russian one as well. I can't think of the wrestler's name that they did it with. Um, you know, the Russia versus USA and, you know, the, they just, they weren't scared to take issues in the world and put it on their TV screens. And, you know, they did that with characters like Sergeant Slaughter, who was, I'm going to come here and, and save America. And, and I, I appreciate their willingness to take a chance on that. I don't know that you could do some of that stuff today to the extent that they did it. You know, they even did it with, it, you know, the, the Hart Foundation, when they were all, they came out as pro-Canada in the USA, and it would get everybody into these USA, USA chants. And I don't know that you can do that stuff now, but I'll give the WWE credit that they did it, and they, they wrote decent storylines around it, and they created some good characters around those types of storylines. Or Hulk Hogan against, you know, Iron Sheik. Like, that's one of the most famous like out there as well, they just they were willing to take the this uh, the the bigger than life American superstar. I'm going to come and save the world type uh, storylines, and it, it was they did a good job of it. Yeah, they they tried, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember. It was 
Curtis Axel, I think, and a couple others. They had this like real Americans or something like that, or some kind of like pro US type thing, and they never really got over. So yeah, like it was different back then when you really had the tensions and you didn't quite have maybe the the social acceptance that we have now. And, and some of that stuff does not fly. Um they tend to not really go on that part of it anymore. Um, yeah. Most of their factions and stuff now are not related. Like, you know, they got the LWO, which is the Latino World Order, which is Rey Mysterio, Santos Escobar, uh, a couple other guys, Selena Vega. I think for everything that they do well, um, sometimes it's frustrating to watch when they don't know what to do with someone. So they just they they throw them out there to give them a push, or they the continuously changing of the character, right? Like just you know it's so and so. Like I wasn't a big fan of the Blue Blazer. What they did, what they did with Owen, it was almost yeah. like they were either punishing Owen because of Brett, or they really didn't know what to do with Owen because Brett was gone. And you could see that when something happens and goes. It's tough. They repackage someone. You see it all the time when they someone comes in. Um, uh, and I, I, for the life of me, I can't think of his name right now. He came in as like a party guy and he had all these little followers and it was like he was the leader of a little rave. Well, there's been more wrestlers come out of his little group of followers, like Braun Strowman and a couple others that have gone on to bigger careers than Adam Rose. That's who it was, Adam Rose. But then they tried to repackage him. And it just didn't work. And and it, sometimes it's not necessarily the writing, but it is the person. Um, there's people that have been complaining about, have complained about the writing. And The Miz, who was a reality TV star turned wrestler and has been very successful as a wrestler, has said, like, if you got a problem with the writing, it's probably more or less your fault than the writers. Because they like the, their job is not easy. And they're trying to work. If you're not willing to work with them, then it's not going to go well. But it's just uh, a lot of times the, it's the big guys they don't know what to do with. Omos right now is another one. The guy's like seven four, massive. Shouldn't lose to a single person, but they just like the style isn't there. Vince likes his big guys. Vince likes his Andre yeah. the Giant types, his the uh, the big shows and guys like that that are just these massive mounds of men that in theory, they would never lose, but Omos loses to Rey Mysterio. Who's five, three on a good day. Uh, it's like wrestling is it's a make believe land. So Rey Mysterio will beat a Batista beat, you know, a cane or whoever he's facing that should squash him in five seconds. But it can be frustrating to watch when you just you don't know what to do with someone or it's a tag team where one's going over more than the other. And so they do that singles run and then the partner kind of goes away because well, we don't know what to do with you. And yeah. clearly you were being carried by the other guy. Like there was um, Otis uh, was, is now part of alpha Academy with Chad Gable, but he was with a, in a tag group before. I can't remember what they were called. That's how big they were. 
But Otis was the star of it. He's a big guy. He looks like a bowling ball, but he had the crowd appeal. He, he would do the worm in the, in the, or he, like he called it the caterpillar in the ring. And, but he got over where his partner didn't. And his partner got released shortly after the breakup of that team. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's interesting to see how wrestlers and characters evolve over time and who the crowd gets behind. And it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. Touch on one more, and you kind of just mentioned tag team partners. These guys aren't a tag team partner, but to me, they are one of the greatest duos ever in wrestling history. And that is Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. That announcing team was by far, in my opinion, the best that they ever had. Over selling things over the top, his ability to make something so small just seems so big. And Jerry Lawler very much classified as the heel of the group but still knew he, he just had such a, an impact on, re- on wrestling just in general his knowledge of wrestling was so good that the two of those guys together behind the mic calling matches you rock versus austin or undertaker versus kane like those guys to me nobody touches jr and jerry the king lawler behind the mic and i remember when 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 I think it was, it was JR who left first. And yeah, it, it's, it was different watching it, not having Jim Ross call it. And it just seems so off to me. And they're, they're the best by far. They're the best in my opinion. And, and I loved listening to those two. And, and then every once in a while, you know, Jerry, the King Lawler would uh, interfere in matches. And, and I just felt like, they they did such a good job of of selling those two as characters as well. They weren't just the announcer guys. They were actual yeah. characters. And Jr. was the the pro superstar, anti heel kind of guy, and Jerry was the the pro heel. I, I, they did such a good job of those two. Well, and the thing too is, Jr. left. Jr. came back. Jr. left. He's now with AEW. Um. Lawler kind of stayed, went away, came back, but I think his health keeps him away more yeah. or less now. But it, it, it's been such a revolving door since they've gone. And Michael Cole has gone from backstage in ring and uh, interviewer to now being the lead announcer. <laughs> yeah, the lead announcer. Not just, uh, he was on. SmackDown, I believe, with uh, and then with the, the whole merger with Endeavor, they wanted to have that continuity between shows, like a UFC show has, where your commentator is your commentator regardless of what's going on. So now Michael Cole is on Raw with Wade Barrett, who does an all right job. He was on, he went from NXT to SmackDown um, with Michael Cole. And then it was Corey Graves, who was a former wrestler, but got injured, couldn't wrestle anymore. So they had him go into commentary. And he actually does a great job because he has that Jerry Lawler-esque um, heel favorite like, side with the things. And uh, But outside of that, whoever's been with Corey Graves has been a little bit of a revolving door because they just haven't found that person. Now it was Kevin Patrick right now. 
And now they've brought Cole to do Monday Night Raw with Wade Barrett. And then you got uh, Wade, no, you got Cole, Patrick, and Graves on SmackDown. So you got two guys for three hours, three guys for two hours. And Michael Cole's now carrying the, the bag for those guys. And he does a good job. Like he's the, he has that, you know, he's not a fa- He's not a fan of the heels. He, he has that JR bit to him and he does a good job and hopefully you get some continuity in the, the announce table. Cause yeah, it's been a revolving door. And if, if whoever's on, on the announce table sucks, the show's not going to be enjoyable. It, it makes a huge difference. It really, really does. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like there's so much more we could talk about. We haven't even touched on like pay per view. We haven't even talked time. about the female wrestlers yet. Yeah, like it, it's, we're gonna have to do another show, Ken. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. Yeah, like the so many we can continue to talk to and how who's who's evolved, who hasn't, what what it, they've brought. It's uh, it. Wrestling will never change, hopefully, and uh, just continue to get better. There's there's lots of young superstars coming up, second, third, fourth, 15th generation. You know, The Rock's third generation and his daughter's in NXT. So, all right, like, it, uh, it's going to continue on, and there's going to be – there's always going to be wrestling to talk about. Absolutely. But, I love talking wrestling. Again, I'm not a huge fan of it now, but I still love talking wrestling. It's just oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. Hey, it's uh it's a good way to kill an evening and it's uh it definitely is entertaining. Like I said, even my wife now is like, Who's on this one? What what's the storyline? What are we watching for? Right. So it's uh it gets you it, it draws you in for sure. But we got a lot more to talk about. We're uh coming up on time for today though, unfortunately. We could probably have a three to four hour show if we really wanted to to try <laughs> and get it all in, but I don't think neither one of us has the time today for that. So we will have to continue this uh, conversation on uh, our our best and worst WWE gimmicks and characters and at some point get into the types of matches that we, we see on pay-per-views and a Monday night and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's always fun talking wrestling and uh, something else to add to the, to the Bleacher Connection uh repertoire portfolio so, yeah let, let us know what you think uh who's your some of your favorite wrestlers some of your favorite gimmicks what do you think that they've botched real bad in the past or even now let us know trevor's at the BleacherCon one i'm at the BleacherCon two probably coming up might skip a week or so of uh wrestling talk because trevor uh i know it's preseason but our two teams are facing off later tonight in uh the first game of preseason for our teams in the NHL, so Canucks Flames, meaningless game, but between us, there's always meaning to it. Always a little bragging rights, but uh, hockey's starting soon, oh. so we'll uh, we'll have to jump into our 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 team previews and really dig deep into what we think we can expect this season from our teams. As a Canucks fan, I'm hoping for more. Trevor, as a Flames fan, I have to think you're hoping for a lot more from your team. Well, oh, I can't be worse than last year. So you <laughs> we, say we that. Gave a, but... <laughs> we, we gave a little bit of a preview when we were on John East Hope Show, Double Digit Hockey. We did get into the Canucks and Flames a little bit, but on our show, we will take a deeper dive as to you know why we think they will or won't make the playoffs and and what type of season to have. That we'll we'll probably have that episode in two weeks. 
Um, very much looking forward to hockey season beginning again. Yeah. Always fun. Always fun. Uh, don't forget to check out Belly Up Sports, bellyupsports.com, or on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, check it all out. You can catch all the articles, uh, all the different podcasts. Always adding. Always a good listen. Check it out. That's our show for this week. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.